0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study, and we are so excited that you are here as we continue uh, our study in 2 Corinthians. If you want to go ahead and turn, uh, we stopped last week in chapter 5 on verse 11. We'll pick up on 12 today, Uh, so chapter 5, verse 12, and then we'll finish out uh, chapter 5. That is our goal, and I think we make that today. Uh, My name is Rick Burgess, uh, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. We're in the Rick and Bubba Studios, those of you that are watching, and if you're listening, uh, that's uh, that's what you're hearing now and that's where we originate from uh, i'm also director of the manchurch.com this is a men's discipleship strategy that was birthed on march 1 uh, 2020 uh, came out of the local church we were working on you know some strategy that may be more sustainable than some of the other attempts at men's ministry and we, and we found a system that was found of all places in the bible uh, and then uh, and then we implemented that and um, we did find that if you can set up a, a routine for, for men, uh, and you actually write curriculum for that, uh, that, you, that, that it actually runs pretty smooth. Uh, 40-week curriculum, we have four of those now. Uh, they're on different topics, different journeys. Uh, we also have a, a brand new one. Uh, if you're catching this archive and it's still the year 2024, uh, then uh, it's coming out this year. So uh, be, be looking for that, making five total curricula. Uh, that you can choose from. We also have individual items for men. We have uh, 31-day devotionals, 40-day devotionals. Uh, We have a brand-new one of those coming out this year as well. Uh, which uh, is a term that you hear often in this Wednesday Bible study. The new 31-day devotional that is coming out uh, that I just finished. Uh, well, I finished it a while back. It's about to be published. It's called "Sin Always Matters," uh, and uh, and we'll we'll talk about that on uh, what the Bible has to say about uh, sin and how uh, what a big deal it really is, uh, but also the good news that uh, redemption is being offered by the only one who can provide it. So uh, that that's coming out. So look for that. It should be out in February if it's not already already February while you're watching or listening to this. So some other things to know. Three big men's conferences coming up. One of them, we're a guest. The other two we're actually running. Uh, the first one where we are a guest is coming up next weekend, uh, January twenty sixth and twenty seventh, Long Hollow in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Robbie Gallaty, the pastor there, uh, he and his men's ministry have invited us to come up. We're excited about that going to Tennessee. He'll be speaking. I'll be speaking. David Pollock will be speaking. Scott Dawson will be speaking, uh, and we'll have all of our resources in the lobby there at Long Hollow. They have a guest speaker they'll be announcing closer to the event. Uh, if you're catching this on the day when it was actually done, Robbie Gallaty is scheduled to be on the radio show uh, coming up on Thursday the 18th, and I think he'll announce that other speaker they haven't announced yet. So that'll be going on. Now the two that we are actually running... It's our second year to do Man Church conference. We're actually going to do two this year. Tried our debut last year. It went so well. Uh, men from all over the country were saying, tell us when you're going to get together again. So we'll be in Birmingham, Alabama, February the 16th and 17th at Samford University's Wright Center. Uh, we'll have Robbie Gallaty. He'll be now coming to visit us. He'll speak there. I'll be speaking. Also, Rich Wingo will be speaking. Uh, Andy Blanks will be speaking. And Chuck Hooten will be leading our worship. We'll be introducing these new... Uh, resources that I've been telling you about. And then Starkville, Mississippi, on the campus of Mississippi State University, March 8th and 9th. That'll be coming up at the Bettersworth Theater. Uh, And we'll have Granger Smith. You know, he just walked away from country music saying, you know, after his youngest son uh, died his earthly death, he said he he, he was jolted, uh, realizing that he was just a cultural Christian. He's now become a devout follower of Jesus, walking away from country music in a very successful career. You'll hear his story, and he's doing a, an incredible job speaking and teaching the Bible all over and talking about uh, this epiphany spiritually that happened in his life. He'll be there, James Spann. Uh, Very well-known meteorologist all over the country. Uh, He'll be there telling his story. Uh, Also, we'll have Scott Dawson there. Uh, We'll also have Andy Blanks, and I'll be speaking in Mississippi as well at uh, Mississippi State. Chuck Houghton doing worship again, and our resources will be available there. So you can go to both of those, or you can go to any of those, or all of those. Uh, Find all that at themanchurch.com. If you don't have your tickets yet, there are still some. Uh, that remain. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, may your holy hand be upon uh, a lot of men that have reached out to me that, that I knew were not going to be here in the room with us today. Uh, we have various surgeries going on. We have some who are, are dealing with other things in their life. Uh, I pray your Your hand be upon them, Lord. Uh, thank you so much for their devotion uh, to study your word in here, and I pray that you be with them uh, in whatever they're going through today and this week. Uh, help us now, Lord, as we unpack your holy word, um, whether in the room or, or watching this or listening to this, anywhere in the world, speak to our heart today. Uh, prepare us to hear what you have to say. Uh, Lord, help me with the power of the Holy Spirit, with all my shortcomings and my inability to properly unpack something so powerful give me the supernatural power to do that through your holy Spirit in your name we pray amen all right so let's uh let's take a look when we when we left off last week uh, the Apostle Paul has been talking about the ministry of reconciliation that that he has been given uh, and 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 now he's going to pick up once again and he's going to be talking about have you ever been ex, tried to explain yourself to someone and and there's an accusation that maybe you're doing something, and instead of just saying I'm not do you know I, I'm I'm doing this, you go well. Let me tell you what I'm not doing. And so the Apostle Paul says, let me be real clear first on what's going on here and what I, what, what what we he and, and and the other teachers what we are not trying to do. And and he's saying this in verse 12. He says uh, uh, in chapter five, uh, starting in verse 12, he says we are not commending ourselves. To you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. He's saying, first, I'm not doing uh, what I'm not doing is I'm not blowing my own horn. I realize there's critics that have come against me. And remember, he's got critics; he's got people opposing him. We've talked about that quite a bit in this letter. He says, but I'm not doing this. I'm not going to defend myself by puffing myself up he says you know what 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 I want to talk about is I just talked about the judgment seat of Christ and when I told you about that back back in back in chapter uh, 11 uh he said and when I told you this back in chapter 10 I mean verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 10 I didn't say this about the judgment seat of Christ, meaning, uh, look how great I am, and I'm not going to be afraid to face the judgment seat of Christ, but the rest of you probably will. He said, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, he, he said, what, what I'm simply stating is facts, and these facts are here uh, for me to defend my character. And oh, by the way, if you would like to be able to defend me against my critics, I'm trying to give you the information you need as well. And uh, we're all going to face the judgment seat of Christ. He said, including me, but I'll tell you this, that is something that I'm actually preparing my life to do. I will take my character and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think my character speaks for itself. My job is to point you to what's coming, whether you like it or not. You 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 ever had that before? You ever said, somebody may say, well, I don't like what you're saying. You say, well, I'm not saying my opinion. I'm telling you what God said. You know, Paul said, I'm not the one who came up with the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not the one that, that 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 said the things that Jesus said. I'm telling you what he said. These are not my opinions. So if you got a problem with the truth of what I'm saying, saying you're going to have to take that up with Christ himself. All I'm doing is reflecting him. These are not my standards. They are These are not my commandments. These are not my teachings. I'm teaching him. And he's really going to double down on that as we go forward. And so... He says uh, uh, on the second part of B, he says, if, if, you, if you want to know what false teachers do, he said, false teachers, they always, they always will concentrate on outside appearance. He said, he said if, you're, if you're looking at a, at a false teacher, they might be able to stand before you and they might be able to put on a good show. He said, but if you want to know what a false teacher is, you've got to look to the heart. What are they actually teaching? So if you want to call me a false teacher, take what I'm teaching and see if it stands up. Now, all of us can look good on the outside, but I'm here to tell you I'm not trying to look good just on the outside. I want you to know what my heart is, and my heart, and he's really going to tell us here in a minute, is to preach the truth of Christ. The false teachers are going to look good on the outside, but as you dig away at what they're actually saying, you'll realize they're the false teachers, it's not me. And I think we all need to take that away. Okay, If you want to apply something today, because we're living in a time that Scripture has warned and warned and warned since the establishment of the church. We've had many studies on many epistles in here where we're being warned, false teachers are a given. And we had them early in the church, okay? And so we've always been told what to look for and what that content, content. Now, what about this? Can, can you and I spot false doctrine if we don't know pure doctrine? We can't. How many times I've talked to you about the, about the counterfeit? You know the Secret Service. They don't. They don't. They're they're only shown the genuine article. So when they see a counterfeit against it, they know because a lot of people look good on the outside, and a lot of people can tickle the ears, and a lot of people can even even either even give a message where you go, man, I, I, that feels good. I like that. But can you spot when they say something that isn't correct? I talk about my wife a lot in here because she's a powerful Bible teacher. If you want to not enjoy a movie made about biblical scripture, try to watch it with Sherry. You will not enjoy it. Last night we tried to watch his only son the Abraham movie, you know about 3 minutes and 49 seconds, I can still remember the time. Sherry already's done with the movie. That's not in scripture. That's not what scripture said. I said, "Honey, we're 3 minutes and 49 seconds in." I said, "Can we just see if the movie basically hits it right?" It never says that Abraham did that. He didn't do that. He said it got up, he got his donkey packed, and he went up to the mountain. And they're acting like that he's wavering on this. I said, they're not acting like he's wavering. He might have been upset. That might have been tough news to hear about sacrificing his son. Bible doesn't say that. Bible doesn't say he has that kind of reaction. Okay, so I can't even watch these things with Sherry because she, if they don't follow word for word in Scripture, then she says, well, that's not what happened. That's not what the Bible said uh and so i'm like okay so we made it three minutes and 49 seconds on that movie click uh let's just turn that off but but i hope that we have that kind of discernment you know that might be a little over the top at times you know let's get a little further in and see if we think it overall stands up but what but sherry is making a legitimate point once people if they veer off scripture be careful. It's okay if they, if, you know, like, like the, one of the best Bible teachers I, I've had in a small group once told me, it's okay to speculate as long as you acknowledge you're speculating but you know it but but we're not we don't take our theology and force it down on scripture we let it flow up out of scripture and so paul is saying that he said outward appearance is not what you were going to look at uh, and most of the, and he said I, what I want you to judge me on is my content what am i teaching on my character and oh by the way i stand by everything i've taught you about christ and if you want to say that to all my critics that you too have heard what i taught and it stands that's how you defend me okay my motivation is to bring glory to Christ, not to bring glory to myself, and be careful of those that don't seem to do it that way. All right. Now, now, verse thirteen. So he says what I'm not doing, and that's blowing that's blowing my own horn about this judgment seat of Christ. And then thirteen, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are if, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, catch this. I, I, this is really, in my opinion, of course, I would only read it this way. Paul's being a little bit. It sounds like something I would say, and, I'm not, and I don't mean that in a positive way. What he is saying is this. Y'all may be saying I'm out of my mind, and you may be doing that. I'm not crazy. He said, because I'll tell you this. The things that you're saying that I'm doing that are out of my mind, he said, "You think I'm mad? I'm doing these things for God, and in order for you to think I'm in the right mind, that means I'd have to I'd have to dumb down what I'm saying so I can please you. No, if if I if if being in my right mind is to bend God so you can be, I can be more palatable to you, I'd rather you just call me crazy, because the things you're calling crazy are the things I'm telling you from God. I'm not out of my mind. I'm in my right mind, and I'm not going to change what I'm saying just so you accept me." I, let that resonate, because I know that we all we're all bold. We will say that. I, I, hey, I tell you what. If I stand, it's just me and on God's truth. That's good enough for me. Is it really? Because He may ask that of you. But that's, that's one of these reasons you hear Jesus saying, "Count the cost." That's one of these t- times you hear re- you hear Jesus saying, "Deny self, pick up your cross," because if most of the time, if you're completely devoted. to to our Lord and Savior, I promise you, we've already said we know what it'll cost us for sure. What? Our sin. That we know. Okay? The other thing though, it may cost other things. It always does. If you look, if we look around and, and everybody around us in the world we now live in thinks our devotion to Christ is just wonderful, in some circles that's all right. In other circles, we've done something to compromise him. And you know, sometimes people say, if you just bend a little bit on something, we would like you better. Well, our goal is not to be liked. And I know sometimes I kind of see the Western church kind of drifting anything to be liked. That was never our call. Now, we're not supposed to be jerks and we're not supposed to be mean and we're not supposed to be uncaring. We're not supposed to be self-righteous. Absolutely, that's true. But the goal isn't to be liked by the world. That's not the goal. Now, we can be strategic, you know, by trying, you know, as as one of the first men I ever worked for. We can try our best so that we can at least still have a conversation and keep the narrative going, and have an opportunity. as one of the first men I worked for, and you know I was young and and full of all kinds of things, and uh, I remember him saying, you know, one thing you need to learn about being in sales, because my first job was selling radio. He said, "Don't offend the alligator till you get across the lake," you know, and and so so that sometimes there's strategy, but we don't ever compromise compromise truth. We don't make God more palatable. To get along. Now we 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 try to be strategic, we try to be smart, as Jesus told us, to be as gentle as a dove and be as wise as a serpent, but this is not saying in order for me to be accepted by you, I have to compromise God. Then we don't do that. Okay, and, and Paul's making that clear. If if me being right with God is what you call crazy, then I guess i just have to be crazy. I, I'd rather do that than to be like you and be called in my right mind. All right, so so the next two verses, fourteen, fifteen, let's unpack these. For the love of Christ, now he's telling you what does control him. And this is beautiful. And and I want us to ask some questions here from our teacher, the Apostle Paul. Could we say the same things about ourselves? Now Paul's going to tell you, I told you what I'm not doing. I told you what doesn't control me. And now, as a great teacher does, I'm going to tell you what does. And I want us to ask ourselves a question, are we the same way? Here's what he says. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this. I love this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, I'd underline that twice, but for him who for their sake died and raised. Wow. Paul was motivated by what? His love for Christ. Is that what motivates you? Is that what motivates me? Now, be careful. Be careful because I know it's easy to say yes. I'm speaking to my own journey, okay, and and it may or may not apply to yours. Be careful that your motivation is just not to go to hell. That won't, that won't work because there's going to be some days you're going to think you're not going to go to hell. You're going to think today's the day I'm not going to die. I think I'm good today. That can't be the only motivation. It might be what what got you to consider Jesus, and that's okay, but it's not going to be what's going to carry you the rest of the way. The Apostle Paul is telling us if you want to have a solidified faith in Christ that never ends and you want to be about his business and you want to be pursuing him, look at all the other things in your life as I look at mine, and there's nothing that drives me quite like loving something, right? Think about how many things you do for someone or something just simply because you love it, right? Think about that. So what Paul is saying, you got to get to the point that you love Jesus. And he says, I'm controlled by my love of Jesus. And then you know what he says? I think he's worthy of being loved. Look what he did for us. He said, let me tell you why I love him. I've concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, if he died for us, then we got to die to self. Which, by the way, Jesus told the disciples when he was was with them. And and Paul says, I've come to the conclusion, if he was willing to die for me, why am I not willing to die for him? Now, some of you are thinking about physical death, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think that's easier. Because it's over. Let me tell you what's hard is living for him while dying to self but your body still be alive. You you have figuratively died. You're not physically dead, but your flesh is dead. I die to self. That's much harder than today if 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 I if I if I, if I compromise Jesus, then I might live and you stand and say, I'm not going to, because if y'all kill me, I'm just going to be in his presence anyway. I honestly think that's an easier thing to do than to grind out day after day, minute by minute, hour by hour, denying ourselves and living for him. I think that's much harder. That's That's a much harder standard. But that's exactly what Paul's talking about. And you know what he says? Listen to this. This is important. It controls me. You ever had sin control you? My hands up. Why can't the love of Christ control us? Should have more power because he defeated sin. So, does the love, I love that term, the love of Christ controls me. He's letting us know don't let your flesh control you. Don't let sin control you. Don't let bad motivation control you. Don't, don't, don't let underlying, you know, uh, things that we're trying to do, something to bring the glory to ourselves. He said, can you purely say, get up every day, and as soon as you take breath, say, I'm going to start right now, another minute, another hour of another day, and I'm controlled by my love of Jesus. I promise you we will not be controlled by the love of someone we don't know impossible. I can't love people I don't know. And, and 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 so Paul goes on to say, I have concluded this, that the one that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and raised. He is making it clear when you, if you hollered to Paul, why should I love Jesus so much? Why should I die to myself and give myself to him? And Paul would say, because he died for you and he rose from the dead and he saved you from the pits of hell. That's why. And you know what I should have said? That's a good point. That's that's a that's a pretty big deal. He saved you from eternal death. That's why you should love him. Do does he need to say anything else? He said, that's why my love, you know why I love Jesus? Because he saved me. He reconciled me. He took away my biggest problem, and that was sin. I couldn't do anything about that. I was dead in my sin. And Jesus said, I'll deliver you from it. I'll take the death you should have had, and I'll give you the eternal life you don't deserve. Well, that ought to drive us to love him. And you know what Jesus said? He knew that so much. He said, it's those who love me that obey me. Are you motivated by your love for Christ? And then, of course, if we have a love for Christ, notice what else he's having. And this is the harder one for me. A love for people. He died for all. Not just for you. Not just for me. And he said, go out and tell them what I did. You be my disciple and you make disciples. Sometimes I find being his disciple easier than making disciples because I, I find I, I can't argue with why I should love him. Sometimes I argue on why I should love you. He makes a better case than you do, frankly. So I have to love you because he told me to. And And this is one thing my wife and I have adopted in our own marriage today. Husband, I love you just because I told Jesus I would because you're not lovable today. So, so we're not gonna, we're, people shouldn't have to earn their love on merit from us because I, ser- certainly you're not going to love me because of my merit. <laughs> but Jesus is different. Loving people is harder. So that's why we have to love Jesus first because he's the one that enables us to love other people. There's no other way to do it. People aren't that lovable, including me, and I know it. So the bottom line is, you know what he said? If you want to know my identity... It's in Christ. And Paul, and I'll hit this in a minute, Paul loved the phrase in Christ. He loved it, he loved it, he loved it, and he used it quite often throughout the epistles, okay, and because he realized the new creation was Paul in Christ. It has to be Rick in Christ. It has to be your name in Christ if you've been redeemed, and he's going to tell you what, what it looks like to be in Christ coming up now. So then, And then he goes on to say in 16... I will say this. If you want to know, and this is what John Phillips said about it, and I love this line. He said, Paul did not live for himself once he'd been redeemed. This is so good. He lived on the resurrection side of life. Never heard that phrase before, but I sure do like it. Paul lived on the resurrection side of life. He saw the end product. He always saw the resurrection side. When Jesus walked out of the tomb and he he's back to where he's supposed to be, the 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 debt has been paid. Jesus's death is over. He resurrected from the grave, making our faith unlike any other faith in the world. And the Apostle Paul says, because of that resurrection, I know what awaits me, and I don't live all immersed. I remember the cross, and I'm thankful for the brutality of the cross, but how I live my life is a victorious life because I certainly appreciate the cross, but I live my life on the resurrection side, where the power is, where I receive the Holy Spirit. Do you live your life on the resurrection side of life? Are you still Satan? Are your flesh still got you down as if that victory hasn't taken place? Paul knew that, that ultimately the resurrection is what awaited him. He lived like Jesus, not for himself, but for others. Now, verse 16 through 21, he's going to talk about the life of Christ. What, what, what is a life of Christ? What is a life in Christ? And he says, from now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I have a new mind. He said, you know, before when I was persecuting the church, I thought Jesus was just some guy, another radical that's come along claiming to be God, claiming to be some religious leader. And I and I was wrong on that. I I I looked at him as just another man in flesh, and I realized that's wrong. And when he when I met him and he redeemed me and he presented himself to me, I had to develop a new way of thinking of Jesus. I, I have a new mind. I see everything different. We don't think through our flesh anymore, even though one time I thought that's all Jesus was, because I I know now that he was 100% God as much as he was 100% man. I want now, on the redeemed side, on the resurrection side of life, I don't want to be like the flesh. I want to be like that God part of Jesus. I wanna I want to be that part of Jesus. I don't regard him through the flesh anymore. And I'm gonna to get to the point that I don't see anything else through the flesh. I'm gonna see it only through this new spirit I've been given by Jesus. I don't look through the filter of the flesh anymore. I look through the filter of the spirit. I am taking on the mind of Christ. I'm gonna I'm gonna think like him. I'm gonna see things the way he does because we are so um, you, you know that we're gonna to get to admit I'm abiding in Christ. I, the, my love of Christ controls me. It, I don't take Christ and put him on the shelf and go over my day and then come back and pick him back up when it's time to do my nightly devotion. I don't I don't get up and, and spend some time with him and then put him on the shelf and say, I'll get back to you later today. I'm always with him. I'm driven by him. We are one. I am in Christ. So this has changed the way I think. This has changed the way I see things. If you could, if you are, are probably like me, every time I forget this principle and I think through the flesh, I mess up every time. I get so frustrated that I haven't gotten disciplined enough that I always go spirit. Do I go spirit more now than I did say a year ago? Yes. Am I going to spirit the way I need to go? No. Am I getting there? Yes sanctification. It's happening. But am I there? No. Does that frustrate me? It does. However, however, I saw that it also frustrated Paul. And and so if Paul struggled with it, I guess we all will till we finally get that point where we're going to be be glorified. But as long as this flesh is on us, we're going to have to make a conscious decision that we're not going to listen to it. Because it's still screaming. Remember what C.S. Lewis said once we got redeemed. What happened? The flesh began to fight for its life. Because it's, it, it now there's a competition going on between the flesh and the spirit, and the one we feed is the one who wins, and I can see it in my life. I can see it. I can tell my life when I'm feeding the flesh versus when I feed the feed the spirit. And what I got to figure out is why I ever don't do the right one, because I know the end result. So when are you just gonna stop doing that? Well, I keep on pressing on. I keep on straining for the goal, not trying to earn my salvation. I'm trying to be sanctified. I want to be made holy. I want to grow up spiritually. I don't want to be a spiritual infant. I don't want to keep the thing that frustrates me to no end. I can't. And I know how it feels because I've been there and I have to be patient. It drives me crazy when I keep having to revisit the same things with people. And I'm like, how in the world have we not moved on? What else do you want me to say about this? I've said everything the scripture says to say about this, but I can't make you do it. I can tell you what to do, but I can't make you do it. I keep getting in trouble when I do this. Why do you keep doing it? You know, I still still guys, struggle with this. Why? The is the available to you. I'm going to tell you most of the time with a sin that is deliberate and perpetual, the reason why it's not gone is because you still love it more than you love Jesus. It still means too much to you. you it's like a life preserver. You don't think you can live without it. You're not quite sure he's better than that sin. And I assure you that he is. And I've been there. I understand. There's still things I'm working out. Okay? So a new mind, and a, and I'm not going to look at things through the flesh anymore. I'm going to look at it through the filter of the spirit. By the way, if, if I could suggest a sidebar, it's, it's an old Bible study. It's one of the first Bible studies that Sherry and I ever did as followers of Christ. and And, 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 and I know it's still around. You can still find it. It literally is called the mind of Christ. And it's a great one, okay? It's what Paul's talking about right here. It is a great Bible study. It's been around for a long, long time. If you're looking for something new that you haven't done or, or something like that, I, I would, I would, I would suggest that one. You may think, well, you did it early. Is it elementary? It's really not. It just happened. I guess that's just something that God wanted us to learn early, uh, and and we're still applying principles from it. But it's a great Bible study. I don't even know who wrote it, but it's called the Mind of Christ. But it's really good. Uh, so, verse seventeen. And eighteen. Now here's where we're here's comes the rub, y'all ready? So at the manchurch.com, the fifth curriculum that we have coming out this year in 2024, the whole curriculum is based on this next verse. Okay? The whole curriculum. Forty weeks unpacking this principle. And and it's it's gonna be called transformed. Uh, we did a 31-day devotional called transform Now this is gonna be a 40-week curriculum building off that devotional and going even deeper. And it's all from this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, it's going to be tough, right? Underline this word, these words, has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Hmm. That's a pretty strong statement. Let's not, let's not move on. You know, that's one of these things, you put it out on your, on, on your whatever it's called now, X whatever, or you, you put it up in your house or whatever. But have you ever really thought about what Paul's saying? He is saying, therefore, based on everything he just said before that in 16, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, remember I told you that's one of his favorite phrases. If you're in Christ, what does that mean? You've been redeemed. You've been justified. If you are now in Christ, he says, if that has taken place, then, then you and I and all are a new creation. The old us has passed away Behold, the new has come, not the new might come, not the old might pass away. So here's the big question, and it and it's a, it's a doozy, and it may take you the rest of the week on this one. Have you been transformed by Christ? Has the old passed away, or is it passing away? And has the new come, or is it in the process of being there? Are you a new creation? Is there anything different about you since you've been transformed by Christ? Because what Paul's saying is, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, if Jesus Christ has not transformed us, we're the problem. He is not lacking in the ability to do so. And I'm not talking about mildly, wildly, unrecognizable. The old has passed away. The new has come. Has it? That, that's the question you have to ask yourself. Has it come? Are you a new creation? Well, the Apostle Paul says, because of Jesus, we should be. And he's saying, a new man has come. I, I deal with this a lot, and I talk about it because of the, you know, our physical disciplines. They, they do monitor our, our spiritual disciplines many times. And, and, and it is a phrase that, that one of the men, I've, I've had a few men in my life that really helped me get a hold of my lack of discipline in my physical life. And so what they do for me, which I appreciate, anytime they see me drift— like say I start eating poorly again, or uh, I I didn't show up for a workout, or I didn't complete a workout, they'll say, "Well, that's old Rick." But that sounds like some old Rick would do. That, that's not what new Rick does anymore. New Rick finishes the workout. New Rick doesn't eat that junk. You going back to old Rick? Don't let old Rick come back in there. Well, that's what Paul's saying spiritually. Don't let the old self come back. You that that's passing away. That that that's behavior of the old self. And, and Paul loves this phrase, in Christ. Do you realize he uses it 130 times in his epistles? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Why? That's where the power is. That's the new, I'm now in Christ. And, and so he talks about that the new has come and the old is passing away. Uh, and he also, what he's saying is, if, if you look, we're going into 18 now, look at this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what he's saying is about this new new person that we've become in Christ, this is right out of John 15. Right out of John 15. Make a note on the side, write it in the margin. Go back to John 15. You've heard me mention this when, when, when John himself, in his epistle, in 1 John, the first epistle, He's referencing back because the Gnostics are telling them, don't worry about sin. You're not really a new creation. You're never going to get past it. Jesus didn't really live a sinless life. And John's like, no, 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 that's not what I was taught. That's not what I was taught. And he goes back to John 15 and he goes to Jesus' abide message where Jesus says, I'm the true vine. If you're a branch, you connect yourself to me. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. And then I will produce in you much fruit, because apart from me, you can't do anything. I'm the vine. I'm the strength. So what you need to do as a branch, be sure you're connected to me. Be sure you abide in me, which means to make a decision to remain, to act in accordance with. You and I can never be apart, because if you, if you disconnect yourself from me, you're going to become a shriveled-up branch, and you're going to walk in front of my Holy Father without me, and the only thing you're going to be good for is fire. That's what Jesus said himself in John 15. So you connect yourself to the vine. That's exactly what, what Paul is talking about. Now, here's a biggie that I had not thought about. If you look at the language here, what Paul is trying to let us know, Adler, I don't want to stand up and, and cause you a problem, but all right, let me, let me see this. All right, so what he's saying is, you know, if you had a circle, say Jesus was a circle, well, I can step out of a circle. He said, no, he's a sphere. He's not a circle. You can't get out. Once you're in, he encompasses, he's all around you. He's not some circle where you go, now nah, I'm out of Jesus, now I'm back in, now I'm out, now I'm back in. He said, no, 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 no. That's impossible. He's too powerful for that. He's a sphere. Once, once you're inside Jesus, he's all around you. Okay, You're not standing in a circle. So that means he encompasses everything. You are in Christ. As a matter of fact, he the, the analogy that, that we're, we should think of here is you could all day long want to be near the ark. But if you didn't get in the ark, the flood was going to get you. Jesus is the ark. You know, that, that whole deal is, is a foreshadowing. Remember we studied Genesis? of, of, of Eventually, Jesus would be the ark. And, and here comes God's, the next time he destroys the earth, instead of getting on a physical boat, you're going to now be in Christ and therefore God's wrath, when it comes on the earth, to completely destroy it forever in the new heaven and the new earth, right out of the revelation, you, you need to be found when God's wrath comes on this earth, you need to be found in Christ, in the sphere, not in a circle. I can get out of a circle, in a sphere. I'm protected from God's wrath by the power of Jesus. And that's what he's saying, the old has passed away. You now are inside this sphere, and it's it's making you a completely new person i love that concept that really resonated with me when i was studying this to get ready guys i mean it really really did so now he says in 18 the reason for the change is is, is from god remember what john was screaming in first john how can you live deliberate perpetual sin by claiming that god's seed has now been planted in you how's that even possible doesn't mean we don't make mistakes but if god's seed is in our spirit we, we, when we make a mistake we care we don't like the way that feels. We're convicted by this new spirit. We're convicted by being in Christ. We can't tolerate that anymore. And I'm going to tell you something, speaking from experience, if you are still immersing yourself in sin and it doesn't bother you, I don't think you're in Christ because of my respect for Christ, not because I know something that you don't know. I just I don't see how that's possible. And that's what Paul's saying, too. That's not possible. Have you ever thought about the reason why you don't have victory over sin is you're just lost? You just don't even have Jesus. You might believe in Jesus, but you don't really you're not really in the sphere of Jesus. You're not in Christ. You haven't truly repented. You haven't left your own authority and put your authority in him alone. You you just you're kind, you kind of doing the circle format. You got one foot in, one foot out. And and that's the problem because there's no such thing as that. That's not being in Christ. That's being that's being somewhat interested in Christ or maybe believing in Christ, but it's not in Christ. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to make mistakes. I'm not talking about that, but you're going to come under conviction. That's what I'm talking about. I remember when I knew that I'd truly been redeemed compared, it was one of the first things that happened, and some of you may have heard this before, but I was a cultural Christian for a long period of time and lived 13 years of deliberate perpetual sin with no conviction whatsoever. And then when I was in Christ and I was truly redeemed, you know, old habits are hard to break. And so... I kind of found myself thinking I'll go back and see how it feels to do some of this stuff now. Some of it was because of my job, and 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 the guy that I worked for at the time says we still have you booked to go to a bar and you're going to do this promotion there. You know, as as a radio guy, and you're going to do the drink specials just like we always do. I know you said you got this new faith and all that, but you got a job to do, and God's not going to be upset about you doing your job. And you know, if you can go down there and handle yourself, that's between you and God. But let me tell you, as long as you work for me, you can go do that bar room up. And I had been in bars comfortably for 13 years, preferred many times. That's where I felt the most comfortable. And I thought, well, you know, I, I, you know you're know, you trying to find out if this is the real deal or not. I felt like it was, and but I was trying to, what does my life look like now? Which we all experience that, right? And so I remember going in, and as soon as I stepped in that place, it was like I felt the oppression of evil on me. I'd never felt it before, never. And like I looked over, and all these people that I thought were so wonderful, I could just see like how ghostly and and dead they looked. You know, people that you thought were attractive really weren't, and and people that were drinking alcohol this time, it looked like it was drinking them. I mean, God was like the Holy Spirit. I felt it for the first time in my entire life. I felt it when when you know when I when I wept and I cried out for Him to change me. But this is the first time I'd felt it convict me. Of, of the next, of this is the new life. And when I stepped in there, and I'm trying to be legalistic about this, I knew for me that I could never be in there and serve him. And so, because I this was a problem for me, so he delivered me from this. And it's almost like I was rubbing his nose in it by going back into the very place he delivered me from. And I just went back to the boss. I said, I can't do it. I can't do this anymore. And if you, whatever has to happen, happens. But I know I can't go back in there. And luckily he was kind enough to work with me on that and find other people to do it or or whatever. And he never forced me to go back in there again. So that was, that was kind of him, but, uh, and I don't think he particularly loved it, but I think he realized that I presented it in a way that there was really no need to pursue it. I was willing to walk away, not to have to do that again. And, um, and so if you don't have that kind of feeling, when you're presented with sins that were problematic for you before, That would be a concern to me. If you can still—I'm not talking about messing up and having a bad day. I'm talking about perpetually, deliberately continuing to do these things with no conviction. I would be very concerned about that if that's your situation out there as well, okay, because of what it says. So he says the reason for the change is from God. Jesus reconciles us to God, and now we have access to the power of God that due to sin, that chasm— one of the things I noticed, we, we were looking at what cover to do on the new um, uh, the new devotional, Sin Always Matters. And, and and the artist that was doing the cover, I didn't notice it at first, and it looked real simple. And I said, there's something about this cover I really like. It's very simplistic. And then he said, take a look. Do you see what's there? And I looked, and you're going to love this on the cover. And as I looked, what he had drawn was the chasm. The chasm, If you can barely see it. It's subtle in the background of the cover of the book, that chasm that separated us sin separated us from God, that chasm between us that Jesus, of course, reconciled, and that's what Paul's talking about. He said the reason why you didn't have conviction of sin is all you had was sin because God can't look upon sin, so you don't have access to God's power. But now that Jesus has reconciled you, he carries you across that chasm. He He, he now walks you into the presence of God, sinless and fully righteous, and now the power of God is now available to you. That's where conviction comes from. That's where a new life comes from. He said it actually comes from God, but Jesus gave you access back to God. He reconciled us back to God. That's the beauty of justification. And and before, we could not access, access the power of God because why? There was a chasm of sin between us and God, and Jesus resolved that. And because he resolved it, we now have access to God. Does that excite anybody? I mean, that ought to change the way you live your life every day. That ought to get you out of the bed in a different way tomorrow, is that that we now have access to God. And and, and then he says in in the second part of 18, and, and this is the part, the response, what do we do now? And Paul doesn't leave us hanging on that. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Watch out now. We're supposed to do something with it. And he's going to get even deeper on what we're supposed to do. A ministry of reconciliation. So do do you, I mean, like I've often said, if I can get excited about I ate at a restaurant that everybody's got to try, I don't know why in the world people can't get excited about I've been reconciled back to God. And I can tell you how to do it too. He said, you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Some people don't know this. Some people don't know that they're trapped in sin and there's a chasm that the sin creates between them and God, and they don't know why they don't feel God, and they don't know why they don't believe in God, and they don't don't know why. They just don't feel the presence of this God we keep talking about, and the reason why is they have been reconciled to him. So you show them how to be reconciled to him like you were and like I was. It's a ministry of reconciliation. Do you have a ministry of reconciliation? The answer should be yes. Why? Because it was given to you. It was given to me. Nothing else quite drives me like the ministry of reconciliation. Tell the world what God can do for them. And then look at 19. Paul goes on. He says, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here it is. We need to go out and tell the world that God is going to do one or two things. And now there's a second option, not just the first option. The first option is God will count your sin as judgment on you. Or cancel that and count it as redemption. Would you like to have your sin canceled or would you like to have it be counted against you? That's the ministry of reconciliation. And he said, and he's provided this for the whole world. And it's a real simple question. You want to have your sin count against you, or you want it to be reconciled and canceled? Counted or canceled? Can you give that message? I can. And if I can do it, anybody can. That's a pretty simple message. Our sin is either going to be counted against us, or it's going to be canceled by Jesus. That's it. So then he goes on in 20, and he says, And because we know this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We're an ambassador for everything we love and care about, aren't we? Can't wait to tell people about it. Now, here's the word that's interesting in the Greek here that I looked at. Now, look, young guys, you're not off the hook because we're all ambassadors. But you know what Paul's really talking about? Old guys. The word ambassadors there means we are wise, older men for Jesus. That also means no matter how old you are, you need to have the wisdom and the knowledge about Christ as if you were older. You're mature ambassadors for Christ. That's what that word actually means in the Greek. You're not an infant, meaning don't rush out there and not know what you're talking about. You know, you remember that, even Apollos early on, you remember when they Priscilla and Aquila had to pull them aside, hey, you're a great speaker, love you, people love to hear you talk, we got to talk about you getting your theology right. Remember that? And he listened, and he was taught, and they got his theology a little more sound than he went back out there. So what they're saying is, Paul is saying, When I say you're an ambassador for Christ, I mean know what you're talking about. Be seasoned as a follower of Christ. Be mature in your faith when you go out there. And now you are an ambassador for Christ. And can you imagine this next statement? God making his appeal through us? What? Us? God is making his appeal through us? Why in the world would he use such unworthy vessels? But he does. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make my appeal through those that I have redeemed. That's who's going to be my voice piece. The church. And so the, the, I guess what I would ask is if, if all of a sudden we went into the presence of God and he said, you know I'm making my appeal through you, where's my return? Should I use you? You know, uh, are you the one that comes in and we look up and you're on the board and you're going to be the one that gets you remember salesman of the month? Now, we're not salesmen, but we're ambassadors. And um, you know, I think doesn't it make you feel good if if you know you you have something that meant a lot to you and and you try to get your children to care about it and suddenly you hear one of your kids talking about something that was important to you? That's kind of cool, isn't it? You thought, wow, they kind of they bought in on that. Well, God says, these are my children. I send y'all out as my ambassadors. Go tell the world what I've done for you. I'm going to make my appeal to the dying world, and I'm going to make that appeal through you. Now, here's the good news. It is not dependent on us. Being his ambassadors is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do, and he certainly doesn't need us, and he certainly doesn't need me, but he said, I will allow you to be part of it, and he doesn't send us out there by ourselves. Jesus told us what? I'm going to be with you when we do this. When my Father is making his appeal through you, I'll be with you the whole way. And then we love what? The third part of the Trinity that goes with us? The Holy Spirit. So God has equipped us with everything we need to be his ambassadors, and he will do it through us, but he also will do it for us. All he is looking for is our obedience and our willingness I, I, I've made some of the worst presentations of the gospel you've ever seen, and I've seen people r- repent and give their life to God. You know why? Because they were listening to him, and he just said, Rick's messing this up, but I'm t- he's willing to do this, so I'm talking to your heart right now, and I'm going to draw you to me. I just was looking for some obedience out of him. This is one of the worst presentations of me I've ever heard, but I'm going to I'm gonna make sure it works. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've walked away and said, I don't know where I was going with that. And all of a sudden you look, and there's people responding, and I'm like, I think that's God. And I've had some times where I said, Well, I tell you what, I knocked it out of the park tonight and nobody moves. Nobody moves. So I think God is reminding me that He would like for me to not stop, to stop thinking it depended so much on me and my presentation and just do and say what He says to say. And that seems to work the best. So 21. In verse 21, He says this, and I, I love this line. Or let's finish twenty first. He said, "Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ; God making His appeal through us." And this is the word I was looking for. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love that. Does that sound like a minor statement from Paul? We implore you. We are begging you. I'm telling you. Do you have that kind of intensity? Do people look at our faith and and it feels like we're we're imploring them to experience what we've experienced? Look, this is Paul saying. I, I'm telling you this is the most important thing on earth for you to get this right, and we implore you to be reconciled to God. Do you have that kind of attitude when you're out making disciples, when you're out speaking about Christ and what he did to you? Do you have that kind of, like, like this is the most important decision you could possibly ever make, and there's no decision I've ever made in my life that was anywhere near as important as this one, and it it, it overshadows any decision I've ever made? Well, that's the kind of attitude that Paul had about it. We implore you on behalf of who? On behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He's making it clear that we can't. Can we reconcile anybody to God? We can't. He said, I implore you, but he makes it clear on behalf of Christ. Be sure people know that. Be sure people know that we're not trying to come up with some clever sales slogan that gets them to emotionally commit to something that they don't really understand or they're not committed to. We must always tell them we're here to represent Christ. It's Christ that will change you. It's Christ that that is saying he'll reconcile you back to God. I can't do it, but I'm telling you who can. I'm his ambassador. I'm not my own ambassador. I'm back to Paul's first thing. I'm not doing this to bring attention to myself. I'm doing this to glorify Christ, and because of him, I love you enough to tell you, this is the most important thing that ever happened in your life today that you heard about this. That's what he's saying. That's his attitude. And then 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow, 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 wow. Christ became sin, though he had no sin for our sake. So he had no sin. He did not. So he did this of his own will. Well, he did it to fulfill his father's will. Yes, he did. What did he, what did he tell everybody when, when Pilate was talking about all this stuff, about how Pilate thought he had all this, uh, I got the power on whether you're going to live or die, and Jesus said him straight. He says, you really don't. The only power you have is, is for a moment, and it's given to you by my father. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I will raise it up again. I, he's, I'm in charge of my life, and I give it willingly so that you can be transformed. And Paul's reminding you, you know why he says that right here at the end of the speech about us being an ambassadors and about us being new creations? He's back again saying, your motivation should be that for our sake, he made him, God the Father made his son to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God said the only way they will ever become fully righteous is for me to give my own son for them. My son is going to have to go take the wrath that they deserve. If I, if that doesn't happen, then they can't be reconciled back to me. So I must make my son who has no sin, I must make him sin. I must pour out my wrath on him while he is sin, and then he must accomplish, the the he, he must satisfy the wrath that I must hand down on sin because I am holy. He must take it, and then when he takes it, everybody who submits their life to him, who repents of their sin, that punishment I put on him will be counted to them as fully righteous, and they can be reconciled back to me. And Paul said, if that doesn't motivate you to go out and be this new life and to go out and be an ambassador for this news, I just don't know what else will. I'll go this far. If that doesn't motivate us, we don't really believe it's true. There's no way to believe that's true and not do something with it. It's impossible. There's no way to believe what we believe and to truly believe it's true and it not be the center of your life. It should control every motivation. How can anything else ever enter into that place and be even put on equal footing with it? And then, God forbid, things that are even more important. How can anything be more important than that? Nothing else is going to stand. I say this all the time. And and I don't mean it, and I started thinking to myself, I hope that's not coming across the wrong way. But, I mean, it really is how I feel because this is how I was told to be, not because I came up with it. I'll be out places and I'll go somewhere and speak or I'll go somewhere and do something, you know, for the show, and people come and say, hey, I really appreciate how you guys use the show and I, I, I love what you do for the kingdom of God. And my uncontrollable res- response is always this, and I mean it just because it's true. I say, well, you know It's the only thing that's going to matter. The rest of it's not going to matter. The rest of it is a, is, a, is a certain a good tool to get an opportunity to do these things. But that's all it is, is strategy. Earning the right to share the gospel, getting an opportunity to speak into someone's life who might just be a fan of the show. But when this platform that God has given me The things that are eternal that flow from it are the only things that are going to matter. And I will tell you that the only things that flow from your life that are eternal, they're the only things that are going to matter. Anything else we've accomplished is going to be meaningless. It's what we've done for the kingdom of God. It's how we did as ambassadors for Christ. It's how we did with the ministry of reconciliation. That's all that's going to matter. And if you really kind of get that mindset, you don't really squander it, right? Are, are, you, are you really one to squander the only thing that's going to matter? But you got to get to the point where you actually believe that, that it's the only thing that's going to matter. That is the truth. And I'm here to tell you that. Now, some of you, as we get ready to close, you can't be part of ministers of reconciliation. You can't be an ambassador of Christ because you don't belong to Christ. See, so, so we're, we're a step ahead of you. Uh, and, and you're thinking, I, I I haven't even taken the first step. Well, if that's the case, then I beg you, I, I, I implore you to be right with Christ. I, I'm, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I implore you right now to repent of your sins. I implore you to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. I implore you to leave faith in yourself and place your faith in Jesus. I implore you to do so. Be reconciled to God. And the only way you can be reconciled to a holy God is through Jesus. Then once you get that done, then we'll get to this other stuff. For those of you that are already reconciled to God, that message was for us today. For those of you who aren't, it's just telling you what needs to happen. And if I can help you with that, please let me know. Just rick at burgessministries.com. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this incredible message of the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You who had no sin for becoming sin and reconciling us to a holy God, we are forever grateful. And may we be like the Apostle Paul and wake up every day controlled by our love for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.